0: Let's get together, talk about the movies that we saw this week. We'll have discussions, talk film news, we'll laugh a lot and act like geeks. Sometimes we'll have a guest or two, sometimes it's just the two of us. Let's crack some jokes and tell some folks to come along and hang with us! Mike and Mike go to the movies. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Yeah! You
1: have chosen
0: wisely. This is Ground Control to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. We're stepping through the door, and we're floating in a most peculiar way.
2: Now we're going to get a hit by copyright. Thing, <laughs>
0: <like>. <laughs> because it was so close to the original that it just sounds like it was, I used the track, right?
2: Yeah, yeah you, you put a David Bowie song in the podcast, and now we're dead. <laughs> uh,
0: well, I am not David Bowie. My name is Mike Smith. Uh, joining me, as always, is a man tra- who uh, traveled into deep space to solve his own emotional crisis. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Mike D'Gricio. How you doing today, Mike? <laughs> I'm doing great. Uh, I'm glad I sorted all that out, and I made it back in time to do the show. <laughs> I'm glad
0: for that, too. Uh, now, all the theme songs you're going to hear this episode, outside of uh, the ones that I sang that are David Bowie songs, uh, those <laughs> were created by Kyle Cullen, and our logo was designed by Jacob or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. Uh, if you ever want to contact us and respond to something we did on the show, uh, you can email us over at Mike Mike the Movies at gmail.com. So, today, Mike, we're going to be doing some discussions in which we talk about whatever media we've been consuming lately, and then we go straight into our feature review. This week, we're talking the new film from director James Gray and starring Brad Pitt that is Ad Astra. And then after that, we're going to launch into our own uh, You May Also Like segment, where we each act as your own uh, personal Netflix algorithm and pick three movies you might like if you enjoyed Ad Astra. So, uh, Mike, how familiar were you with Ad Astra before you went to go see the movie?
2: Uh, Not very. I had seen a few trailers or a trailer a couple times. Um, I knew it was a space movie with Brad Pitt about, like, his dad or something, and that was about it. (laughs) And uh, you should, uh, yeah.
0: You should have done the IMDb plot synopsis for this movie, by the way. That's, that's great. It's a space movie. I pretty Brad much nailed Pitt. it. Yeah, a space movie, Brad Pitt, something about his dad. What else do you guys need? Go see it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was pretty excited for this movie. I've been a fan of uh, director James Gray for a while now. He's made a couple of really good, um, kind of small scale movies over the past few years. Not even small scale, because Lost City of Z is actually a fairly expansive movie, but just they're independent films, they don't get a huge audience. This is kind of his widest release, I think, ever in his career uh and wow. so i was pretty excited for that reason uh and i was very much looking forward to ad astra and we're going to talk a whole lot more about that movie later on in the episode when we get to our featured review of *Ad astra that is how we podcast is that what we're doing that is what we do generally speaking yes uh oh, okay before that though we gotta get into some discussions watch this are my discussion just when I thought I said all I could say, my buddy and I talk about movies we see on my discussion. There is so much to see you and me. So we're gonna talk about movies for our
2: discussions.
0: Alright, it's time for some discussions here on Mike and Mike Go to the movies. Uh Mike, what do you have to discuss with us today?
2: Today I have quite the plethora, so fuck up. lot. <laughs> you
0: have a plethora? Uh a corticopia film, if you will.
2: Yes, a veritable potpourri. That's correct, Mike.
0: I I do not know how that became a recurring joke.
2: (laughs) I don't know, but we're sticking to it. (laughs) Uh, But yes, first up, I'm just going to run through these real quick. Say a little short bit because I have like eight or seven movies. Okay, Um, yeah. It's been a productive two weeks as far as only watching movies is concerned, is what I'm
0: saying. (laughs) Fair enough.
2: Uh, And first up is November from 2017. I did not write down the director for any of these, which is a mistake, <laughs> but okay. especially for this one because it's an Estonian film. So I definitely would not have gotten it, pronounced it correctly. Um, See, you might
0: as well just not even say it.
2: Yes, it is directed by a human. That much I'm sure. <laughs> an Estonian uh, human. An Estonian human, and this is a horror movie. Maybe I guess uh, it's like a folktale story about these like medieval or like you know late 17th or 16th century. Or, Jesus. 1700s uh, like Estonian village and like the local baron comes to visit and it's just like this weird folktale movie about Estonian folklore. okay So it's filmed in black and white. it's all in Estonian and uh, it's absolutely gorgeous, but it is just so fucking weird and um, <laughs> and I totally recognize that this is probably because of my like unfamiliarity with Estonian folklore obviously like you know, a movie like The Witch, uh, which is like very deeply American New England folklore. That I'm f- perfectly familiar with here on the, sure. Mike Micah Might Go to the Movies, you know? They might as
0: well call this podcast, Mike Might Mike, Go to the Movies, a New England folktale.
2: Exactly, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Uh, so with November, I just couldn't really, like, uh, approach the movie in that way, you know? Like, it was just too deeply folklore for me personally, obviously. Like I said, that's just because I'm unfamiliar with it. So it was just too right. weird. I didn't really understand, like, they would reference something that clearly like in the subtitles was capitalized and I just don't know what that is right. so you're like I'm on my own but it is it is like a sight to behold it's gorgeous like I said and it's just it's just weird it is worth it on that level like of just like bizarre non-american cinema uh it's cool to watch uh but overall is like a f- experience uh, maybe not I don't know okay <laughs> uh so that's november that's available on shutter right now um next up is train to busan from 2016 uh, which another? Uh, this is a Korean zombie movie. Who I didn't write down the director. <laughs> okay. I've heard
0: of this movie though, and I've I've heard very good things about it. Am I, am I correct in that assumption?
2: You are hundred percent correct. Good. It's absolutely fucking incredible. This is it's outrageous how good the zombie movie is. It shouldn't be <laughs> this good. It's the story about uh, this father who's like you know all all engaged in, in his work, and his daughter wants to go see uh, spend the weekend with like his wife's divorced wife. So he's like, okay, I'll I'll take you on the train. She lives in Busan. We're going to get on the train. And while they're on the train, uh, like the zombie outbreak starts, like on the way to the train station. And it's not, you know, they're not really sure what's going on. And then, you know, once they're on the train, it's full blown, fast zombie outbreak. Yeah. But then it gets, somebody on the train gets infected and it's just the zombie movie that takes, it's like Snowpiercer with zombies. (laughs) But it's fucking rad. It's so awesome. The violence is really cool. The performances are really great. Uh, the, The daughter, who's like, I think, like 10 or 12 is outrageous she's so good um and it's like you know real quick it's a quick zombie movie uh, and it's on netflix and shutter right now so like t- definitely 10 out of 10 recommend train to busan nice. it's really cool uh next up is a vinegar syndrome release this is uh, 1976's satan slave she is to blame
1: catherine for everything and how do you know i'll be bored out of my mind
2: well spending a week with an uncle you've never even met No. and this is a british kind of uh family manor uh in you know, a manor home horror movie kind of thing okay um, sort of like ready like, or not in a weird way yes yeah, sort of yeah but mo- i was gonna say more culty but <laughs> ready or not it's pretty culty <laughs> um, yeah this is a story about this this girl uh she is like her parents are like oh we're gonna go visit your uncle we never told you about at his manor home and they die in a car accident on the way to the manor okay Uh, the parents die and uh the uncle takes in the daughter and then it just unravels while he's like keeping her there and it's like weird culty incest shit going on because it's of course uh like you know that one of those kind of movies yeah so definitely not for everyone uh (laughs) it's got a lot of that going on it's very very violent and like brutal and just like shows you that these cult members like these cult people are just like grotesque and graphic and just do shit because they're cult members but the gore is really cool in, in that sense, you know? Like, it is really impressive effects for, like, an early mid-'70s, like, independent British horror movie uh, kind right. of thing. So that's Satan's and Slave. Okay. I guess it's pretty good, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, sure, why not?
2: Next up, I have 1981's Thief. I come here to discuss a piece of business with you. And what are you going to do? Are you going to tell me fairy tales?
1: Hey, who the fuck are you, slick? Somebody knows you? What, are you crazy or what? I don't know you. I don't know some clown named Gags. God, go see what you got to do. Get out of here. Carl. Call! All right, get the fuck out of here. Hold it. All right, all right. Jesus Christ, hold oh. right, do what he says. Do what he says. Lay down. Go ahead. Put your hands on your head. Spread your legs, now. Goof. Hey, you, you goof, look at the wall. I am the last guy in the world that you want to fuck with
2: by michael Mann, directed by michael Mann. um that one i knew (laughs) uh and this is a criterion release (laughs) one out of four killing it i'm gonna know some of these other ones (laughs) um uh yeah well i mean it's 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 like a a great heist movie james con is a guy who gets roped into doing like one last job and uh just his his life and and what that does to him and his his conflicts as the cops that you know chasing him down and and now he's got a criminal boss and all this stuff uh, and it's just, like, sleek, neo-noir, fluorescent, everything rains the whole time, right. you know, everything's shiny. Uh, it's just fucking rad. I know, I'm sure you're a big Thief fan. I
0: have seen Thief once, I think I was, like, 18 or 19. Definitely liked it a lot back then, but I feel like maybe I didn't appreciate it as much. Like, I saw it and I enjoyed it, but uh, haven't seen it since. And I would love to go watch Thief again. Because, oh, man. Yeah, uh, you're making me want to rewatch it, actually. <laughs>
2: yeah, I think you would like it, too, because it's really stylized and the score is by Tangerine Dream. Nice. Um, so it's one of those cool things, you know, like how Goblin used to do all of like Dario Argento's scores and stuff. Yes. It's just one of those things. And it's, and it's interesting. It's just, I think it's man's first movie and it's yes, it already is. got like all of the things that are in every Michael Mann movie, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty cool. Right. So then next up I have a, uh, an indica- indicator, uh Blu-ray release, which is 1983s nineteen eighty Christine by John Carpenter.
0: Nice. Yes. I actually just watched Christine recently, like for the first time. Uh, oh what a couple months yeah it was a couple months ago it was on shutter and i was able to watch it there but yeah it's it's awesome it's rad
2: oh it's so fucking good yeah, <laughs> yeah. like one of the best needle drops uh of bad to the bone oh, yes. <laughs> on the assembly line of christine being built <laughs> oh, so yes. good uh yeah i mean it possessed car stephen king uh teenagers yeah. well, what more do you need what do you need a roadmap
0: right? yeah no, come on
2: <laughs> see a movie for once Next up is a Criterion release of a movie we actually saw together For the first time I think in theaters uh, Or on 35mm which is Brian De Palma's sisters from 1973
0: Yeah we saw that as part of a dismembered at the Alamo A couple years ago
1: Better spray yourself on You're not supposed to be in here I've got to use the telephone You're not supposed to be in here I think you have a cold No, no, that's a clean telephone. I just think you can walk in here like that. Did you know that the germs can come through the wires? I never call and I never answer. That's a good way to get sick. Very, very sick. That's how I got so sick. Someone called me on the telephone!
2: Yeah, yeah, I got it. I picked it up uh, in the... I picked up a lot of these, like, on the Blu-ray sales. Yeah. uh, And I got this for the Criterion thing, and I was like, you know what? This movie rocks. I'm going to watch it again. And (laughs) confirmed, this movie fucking rocks. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, it's conjoined twins. like, separated, and it's just weird Brian De Palma doing Hitchcock shit in 1973. Yeah. And yeah, between Brian De Palma and Michael Mann, they're just two directors that like I are big blind spots for me. I really need to see a lot more of their stuff. And I don't think I realized that Brian De Palma was making movies as early as 1973.
0: Oh, yeah. now I actually have his, um, I actually, I technically have his first movie on Blu-ray, which was uh, from 1966, I want to say. Um, what? Because it's an extra, it, that, it's basically a student film and it's an extra on the um, Blu-ray for Blowout. Um, oh. So which I have I have the criteria Blu-ray of that And it comes with the I, I forget the name Of that first movie I think it might be like I don't even remember But it's a, yeah. <laughs> But it's like It's not great But it's like A student film And you get like a Sort of sense of Like De Palma's style From like even That early on It's pretty cool
2: Is, is there a split screen?
0: Uh, there was a little bit of split screen, yes. There was a little bit of that <laughs> going on, yeah, even in his first That's film. That's awesome. Yeah.
2: <laughs> That's, like, my favorite, especially, like, my my thing I always think of uh, with De Palma is stupidly Snake Eyes, uh, because we covered it <laughs> on uh, Complete Works. Right. And just, like, what a stylish director, man. Yeah, That's he's all.
0: he's awesome. Love me some De Palma. And actually, speaking of uh, sisters, I actually just recently watched, uh, not to derail your stuff, because yeah. I did not have this in my discussions, but uh, Black Christmas, um, oh, which, nice. which also stars Margot Kidder, who is in Sisters. She plays a double role. In uh, in that movie, and in Black Christmas, she's one of the sorority sisters, and uh, she's great. She's just a delight. Uh, and you know, she passed away a couple years ago. She was she was also Lois Lane in the Superman movies, and uh, she, right. she was just awesome. I love me some Margot Kidder, so I just wanted to give a shout out to Black Christmas. Available on Shadow right now if you haven't seen it.
2: Oh man, I'm definitely gonna watch that. Yeah. There's also a remake coming out soon. I think this year. There in a is. Months, yeah.
0: Right? Yeah. There is. Uh, there was actually. I I just I just discovered there was a remake back in like, 2006. Also, what? with um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead in it, and I'm like, man, I feel like I gotta watch that too. But uh,
2: <laughs> yeah. we gotta do a Black Christmas retrospective. Yes, <laughs> just,
0: just uh, when the remake comes out in a couple months, we'll do a podcast that's just us comparing all three versions of Black Christmas. I would Done. actually love to do that. That sounds amazing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it sounds like we got an off mic plan. <laughs> uh, next up, I got 1980s Friday the 13th.
0: Oh, nice! The original.
2: Yeah, the OG, the OG one. Uh, I somehow never saw many of these. I never saw this one. How have you never saw seen my...
0: Friday the Thirteenth? Is of my is my I question. I
2: don't know. I think <laughs> I guess just like Michael Myers is my boy, and I guess that's I just had enough. You know, he's <laughs> he's enough slasher for one man's heart. You had, you had no more
0: room for Freddy Krueger, or Jason Voorhees, in your heart because Michael Myers. Correct. Because Michael Myers had already stabbed it out of you is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Only enough room for one knife in my heart, and uh, (laughs) it was Michael Myers. But yeah, uh, I randomly had the desire, uh, you know, it was just recently Friday the 13th, so I was a week late by the time I watched it, uh, (laughs) to not watch it on the day. But uh, yeah, I mean, like, what more do I need to say? That movie rocks. It's great. Kevin Bacon gets an arrow stabbed through his neck. Yes, he does. uh, Watch the movie, you dummies. (laughs) Uh, Actually, I just remembered there was a really funny story they interviewed uh, in that History of Horror thing on AMC. They interviewed Tom Savini. Who did the effects yes, for Friday the 13th? Yep. And he talked about in that scene, he was like laying under the bed or something and like was poking it through the rubber body, you know, like yeah. poking the arrow through the body. And there was supposed to be a pump uh, that was gonna pump the blood out, and the hose got disconnected. So he just grabbed it and, like, blew into the hose, which is why the blood, like, shoots out <laughs> of the, neck, the hole that the arrow <laughs> pokes and, like, sprays all over Kevin Bacon's face because he was just, like, taking a deep breath and blowing into it. Uh, that's great. So that's a, that's a fun little behind-the-scenes. That is. There.
0: That's pretty
2: good. Yeah, and then last up, I have another Vinegar Syndrome release, which is 1988's Uninvited. They say
1: cats have nine lives. You have only
2: one. A poisonous cat. Now, how's that possible? you could have to richer than your wildest dreams. And this is a story about a, a lab that's doing like experiments on animals, and a cat escapes. Okay. And you you come to find it, and then the cat gets brought onto uh, by these like spring break kids, like in Fort Lauderdale, like woo, we're going on a yacht. <laughs> and they uh, take this. They find this stray cat on the docks. They bring it on the yacht with them, and it turns out it's a Mutant cat with a monster inside it? Like yeah. the monster is hiding in the cat and then it just starts eating people on the boat and like attacking them and it's got like goofy really goofy gore and it's very funny like like a uh, guy gets bitten and they just like go to the wall and it's like clearly a bucket of blood just like thrown at the wall like like that kind of shit. It's so goofy. <laughs> yeah. Um and then the guy who owns the yacht is on the run from the cops. So oh, he won't no. take the co- won't take the yacht back to shore even though they're all being eaten and it's just like it's really silly uh, and fun. It kind of runs out of steam. It's like a, it's like twenty minutes too long. It's like one of those things. Like if this was a tight, like seventy-five minutes, like Chopping Mall, sure. <laughs> uh, it'd be incredible.
0: Like Chopping Mall, the most perfect movie ever made. Like you're saying, exactly yeah. is
2: what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. So, but that and that's Uninvited. That was really fun. And that that uh, real quick spurred me on to buy the Thing on Blu-ray and then watch it because it's a thing, a mutant monster hiding inside an animal. Um, spoiler: <laughs> The Thing is still a perfect movie. So fair enough.
0: Yeah, The Thing. There you go. So of all the movies you watched, what would you recommend besides The Thing? <laughs> um, because obviously the thing is probably better than all of them so what's like of,
2: of um, the seven I mean, eight like movies what was it de- uh like deepest truliest it's train to busan okay uh that movie is so fucking good and it's on netflix and shutter it's very easily available cool um so yeah there you go
0: nice all right so that is uh those are mike's discussions for the week uh and now i'll get into mine i just have a few more things to talk to talk about uh usually i have way more movies than mike does this time he uh, he flipped the tables on me
2: how the turntables.
0: Uh, yeah. The shoe is on the other table, which is <laughs> Um But I, I have a few movies, and I had a couple other things I want to talk about. First up, uh, the Emmys were on this weekend, Mike. Uh, and... <laughs> the
2: Emmys shmammy.
0: <laughs> I know, there's only one award show I can I can legally force you to watch, and that is the Oscars. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, rest, the rest of the ones I'm on my own, but I, I did watch yes. the Emmys this weekend, and here's the thing about the Emmys. I... I am a big fan of the Oscars and the Emmys and the Golden Globes. I like watching those shows. Like, I often think they're ridiculous and stupid and, like, they get a lot of things wrong. But I enjoy watching them because they are, like, a celebration of a medium that I really, really love uh, in general. And the thing with the Emmys is back in the day when I used to watch the Emmys, I've been watching the Emmys since, like, 2004, 2005. I have, like, favorite Emmy – I have, like, favorite Emmy ceremonies in my head. You know, I like the one that Conan O'Brien hosted and the one that Jimmy Fallon hosted. Like, those were all-time Emmy, you know, things. Like, they were great. Yeah. And back in the day, I, like if I were to watch the Emmys, like there was a good chance I was watching like probably like seventy percent of the shows that were being nominated for Emmys, uh, you know, because they was all shows like everybody like they were big cultural forces. It was like okay, Mad Men's nominated and Breaking Bad's nominated, and like you would make fun of The Big Bang Theory, but it was nominated a bunch and like all that kind of stuff, and, like <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, now, when I watch the Emmys over the past couple of years, I've noticed that uh, I'm watching less and less of the shows that get nominated, <laughs> um, not because I'm not watching as much TV, because I'm still watching a lot of TV um but just because there's so much tv <laughs> going right. on uh so i used to be able to watch like 70 percent of the shows and now i'm watching maybe like 10 percent of the shows and even then some of the shows that are nominated that i have watched i haven't watched like the most current season of like barry i watched the first season have not watched season two yet which is the season that was nominated this year uh so you know it's just stuff like that where it's like man i like i i'm, I'm adjacent to these awards now like it, it just feels weird to be watching them and like not have like a context for a lot of the stuff that's winning anymore um, right, But that said, I still enjoy watching them and I still like seeing people making the work that I like get, you know, recognition for it. Uh, this year, the Emmys did not have a host. Uh, they went hostless. Uh, much, Interesting. Much like the Oscars did. Uh, not a great show, as it turns out. Uh, <laughs> Whoops. Did not work out for them like it did for the Oscars. Remember the Oscars went without the host and it was like actually turned out really well for them. Like it was actually a pretty solid show all the way through uh yeah. this just felt formless like there was a couple of fun bits here and there but i feel like the lack of like an anchor to surround the show like it really hurt it ultimately like it just felt like they were kind of ambling along and there was like kind of forced bits uh that like you know fox was the uh network doing it this year and i think the reason they had they didn't have a host was a because it worked for the oscars and they were like well we could probably do it do that too and b because they were on fox uh this year and normally whatever network has the emmys like because they rotate every year Whatever network has the Emmys, like, brings in one of their own guys. Like, if ABC has it, usually Jimmy Kimmel hosts the Emmys, you know? And if, right. if CBS had it, like they did a couple years ago, Stephen Colbert hosts the Emmys. Uh, Fox doesn't have any of those guys. They don't have any, like, yeah. comedic late-night people. The last time they had the Emmys, they had Andy Sandberg host because they had Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, but they don't have Brooklyn Nine-Nine anymore, so... <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah, so it really felt like, um, honestly, it felt like the guys from The Masked Singer were hosting the Emmys a lot of, for a lot of the <laughs> nights, uh, which is not something I care about that much, but it's, you know, they had a very big presence throughout the show. Uh, so the show itself was whatever, like, it wasn't that great, but the winners were generally pretty solid, uh, and there were some huge upsets and surprises, uh, and things that I really didn't see coming. Like, I was expecting, well, Game of Thrones was nominated in every single drama category. And I figured, you know, Game of Thrones, even though it was the final season was very divisive, a lot of people didn't like it. I figured Game of Thrones like was going to sweep everything just because just because it was Game of Thrones, because it was like the end of this era kind of thing. I I figured it was going to win every award it was nominated for, and it won two. Uh, <laughs> wow! It won for drama series. It won for outstanding drama series. It won for best drama, uh, and it also won best supporting actor for Peter Dinklage, which was the fourth time he's ever won that aw- the the fourth time he's won that award for Game of Thrones. So that's a lot, um, especially yeah. because it, that makes him the only person on Game of Thrones who has won an Emmy for that show. Now, um, no, <laughs> what? Nobody else in Game of Thrones ever won an Emmy for the show. In the same way that John Hamm was the only actor on Mad Men to get an Emmy for that show. Now, Peter, mm-hmm. Peter Dinklage, only actor in Game of Thrones to win an Emmy for it, which was nuts because there were so many of them nominated the other night. Like, there were so many of them in the categories. Like, it was, it, I think it was, like, a Best Supporting Actress. It was like, okay, this person, this person, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones. Like, it was, like, four or five actresses from Game of Thrones in one category, and they all lost. Uh, Holy shit. It was, which I think part of it was because, you know, they split the vote or whatever. Like, people, like, wanted to vote for Game of Thrones, but they all had different favorites and they, all that stuff. Uh, but yeah so Game of Thrones only won for drama and supporting actor which was surprising and uh, Veep which also ended this year got shut out entirely uh, I think my honestly my biggest shock of the night is that Julia louis dreyfus lost Best Actress uh, in a comedy for Veep and she has won that award for every season that Veep has been on the air <laughs> uh, that would have been out of control yeah, she if w- she swept I like- I kind of wish she did I mean it went to Phoebe Waller-Bridge for Fleabag which I've heard is very good and I'm sure she's very good in it but man I, I like she won six years in a row <laughs> <laughs> for, for Veep, and then she, and they, they took a year off because uh, she had breast cancer, and they kind of delayed the season. Um, and then they came back this year, and I was like, "Well, I mean, they gotta they gotta finish it out. Gotta give Julia Louis-Dreyfus her last her last Emmy. And if she had won, she would have broken the record for most Emmys won by a single actor. But she had she lost. She lost. So it was it was kind of a bummer. Uh, but they they did have like tributes to Game of Thrones and Veep for ending and that kind of thing. There's also this weird montage where they were like, "And now a tribute to some of the other shows that ended this year." And it started with Gotham. Uh, <laughs> what it was like well fox yeah it was fox uh but it was just weird that it was like got like if you're gonna start with gotham that's gotta be like okay it's gotta be like every single show that ended this year but in fact it was like gotham i think jane the virgin and the big bang theory were like the couple shows that were you know included in that montage but like orange is the new black ended this year and that didn't get any representation uh you're the worst end of this year like there was a couple of big shows that it just got completely <laughs> no acknowledgement at all uh it was very very weird uh but you know the the awards were solid uh it was a big night for fleabag which won a lot of stuff chernobyl won a lot of stuff uh in the limited series category which uh, i still gotta watch but one of these days i'm gonna get around to it i think the moment of the night was probably when uh jerrell jerome won uh best supporting actor i think for when they see us in the limited
2: series category i feel like i should just be in the bronx right now <laughs> chilling waiting for my mom's cooking or something But I'm here in front of my inspirations. I'm here in front of people who I'm so motivated by. And the reason I'm here is because of actors like the people I was in the category with. Um, I have to thank my mom, who's with me today, my beautiful mother. I couldn't, damn, damn, um, I couldn't do it without her. Uh, My dad, Sierra, Titi, Malay, Tariq, Mama, Papa, te quiero. Um, of course, Ava. Thank you for giving me this
0: opportunity. Netflix, my team, Perry, Emily, Jen, UTA,
2: everybody. Jordan, I know you out there. But most importantly, this is for the men that we know as the Exonerated Five. It's for Raymond, Yusuf, Antron, Kevin, and King Perry. thank you so much it's an honor it's a blessing
0: again i have not watched when they see us i've heard it's amazing uh and he, his reaction was great and like he, he was in a category with like so many big names surrounding him it was like you know i think uh sam rockwell was in that category and uh mahershala ali for true detective was in that category mahershala And this guy beat, like, all these famous people. And, just, like, he's a pretty unknown actor. I think he played, like, a small role in Moonlight. But, yeah, he, like... And so his reaction was great. And, like, he kind of did this whole speech in tribute to the uh, Central Park Five and things like that. And uh, that was really solid. So, yeah, some solid winners and, like, good speeches and stuff. Just overall kind of a lame show, which was, you know, unfortunate. But that is sort of... I guess it was sort of the expected. they didn't have a host. And I feel like the Emmys have just kind of, like... Man, they've had a rough couple of years. They used, there, used, there used to be some great Emmys, man. They used to be great. Uh,
2: <laughs> I do remember the Jimmy Fallon, like, Glee, Bruce Springsteen thing, uh, which was great.
0: I think it's that's one of my favorite award show openings of all time. It's I, I, <laughs> I watch it, every, like, frequently. Like, I still watch it. Like, <laughs> like every once in a while, I just think to myself, like, man, that was great. And I'll click that on. It's great. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so this year's Emmys, uh, not going to have any bits like that that I rem- remember in my head forever, but, uh, you know it is what it is hopefully this uh this no host trend, like hopefully this puts a stop to the no host trend cause I feel like when it worked for the oscars it was a fluke like I feel, <laughs> yeah
2: you don't think it's can be the go forward thing I,
0: I mean I think if they, if the Oscars can make it work like that I think it also depends on the producers and how well they're able to put the show together um yeah. but you know I, I think having a host like the benefit of having a good host is I, I think if you have a good host it's better than having no host but if you have no host it's better than having a bad host. Uh, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> that's probably how I would put it uh, and this just felt like it had no host and it was sort of leaning towards having a bad host just by virtue of it not being a very good show
2: <laughs> <laughs> somehow with no host it still had a bad host
0: exactly, that's, uh, that's basically how I felt at the, the Emmys this year but uh, yeah, that is the Emmys I uh, just wanted to kind of cover those real quick and then let's move on into uh, this really cool live event that uh, I went to that I wanted to talk about on the show uh, and that is The Room Live Script Reading with Greg Sestero uh in attendance so wow (laughs) so uh for those who don't know the room is a very bad movie um (laughs) go watch the disaster artist if you uh need more familiarity on that but uh yeah the room is you know tommy Wiseau's masterpiece greg sestero played mark in the room and i got like a notification a few weeks before it happened that uh greg sestero was going to be coming to the roxy the uh, local indie theater near my house in missoula montana (laughs) <laughs> uh, to do this live script reading of The Room. And I was like, well, I have to go to that. That's I have to You go. have no choice. I really have no choice. Uh, so I went and he did this and he was there. They um, had like a whole panel of local actors, none of whom had ever seen the movie. Uh, so it was wow. like just these people who were bringing their own interpretations to the characters of The Room, which was pretty incredible. Uh, and Greg Sestero reprising his role as Mark. And uh, what was cool is that they were uh, using the first draft of the script, so not the script they used when they ended up shooting the movie. Greg Sestero told the story of how, like, Tommy Wiseau disappeared for a couple months, came back with this script, and was like, you have to read this. And <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'll give it a read. He's like, no, read it right now. And, <laughs> like, that kind of thing. Uh, so he, yeah. like, read the script. It's, like, 90 pages or whatever. And I guess he originally envisioned it as a stage play before he decided to turn it into a movie. And so the result was a ton of fun, and it was really cool seeing the differences between this version of the script Versus what actually ended up being in the movie, because it is actually a very different version of it. Uh, like for example, Denny, Chris, R, they're not in the in the original version of the script. Um, wow, which is kind of interesting. It's still the same basic story. Like it's still you know Mark and Lisa are having an affair together, and Tommy is like, oh, you betrayed me. I'm fed up with this world. Like that, all that stuff's still in there. <laughs> uh, but some of the most famous lines in the movie are actually like different in this version. Like I think the, the like probably the most famous line in the movie is, "You're tearing me apart, Lisa." Uh, And in the original version, it's, you're taking me apart, Lisa. (laughs) And it was one of those things where the entire crowd knew that it wasn't the shooting script, it was the original. So everybody was kind of like, huh, that's weird. But they were also laughing at it. Uh, And it was a blast. Like, it's just a bunch of people laughing at how ridiculous the room is for, you know, two hours, which is always fun. Uh, And yeah, and then Greg Cicero did a Q&A afterwards where he talked about uh, why he's doing this. And uh, he actually, I didn't go to this, but the next night he was also at the Roxy because they were doing a screening of his new movie with Tommy Wiseau uh best friends is the name of that movie which right. uh, he described as uh, if he and Tommy Wiseau made Breaking Bad together which like oh. I I kind of wish I had gone to that uh <laughs> like, I you're <I, laughs>
2: too busy watching real Breaking Bad
0: <laughs> pretty much I've been obsessively rewatching watching Breaking Bad to prepare for El Camino of course um <laughs> but yeah no I was at a concert that night so I couldn't go but uh at the same time I'm thinking to myself like you know there's no way best friends is anywhere nearly as good as the room because now Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero are like in on the joke. Like they know that it's like, right. so they're like sort of trying to make it bad. Be- I-, I don't know. Like I-, I haven't seen best friends. I, I can't say that for sure. I uh, just, want- just wanted to give that event a shout out. It was really cool. And if it-, if it happens, cause he's taking it on tour and he's doing things like around the country. So if it happens to be near you, go see it. It's pretty neat. Especially if you're a fan of the room. Uh, all right, and then I have a couple of movies to talk about, Mike. A couple of things, m- recent releases that I wanted to get through. First of which is a new movie called Hustlers. I was a
1: centerfold once. No way. 93. Mm. Yay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, my God. Back when Stevie Wonder came in. Well, the Stevie Wonder come in the club for. Casey had him in the champagne room. <gasps> Swears to God is in blood. Wow. <laughs> How come you're so good? I see you with every single kind of guy, and I don't know. It's like you have them all figured out. I, don't know,
0: I guess I'm just a people person. Uh, have you seen the trailers for *Hustlers*, Mike? Yes, I have. Okay. Uh, I was looking forward to this movie. I thought it looked pretty good. Uh, and actually, in the trailer, I re- i had discovered that uh, this movie was directed by Lorraine Scafaria, uh, who I've been a fan of for a while as a writer. Um, she wrote *Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist*. Uh, back in the day, which is a movie I love. I think that movie is fantastic. I really like that movie. I actually just bought it on Blu-ray recently because like this because Hustlers came out. and I was like, man, Hustlers was really good. Uh, I should go watch Luke Nguyen and Playlist again. Uh, <laughs> and I haven't yeah. I haven't rewatched it again yet. But I bought the Blu-ray. It's uh, it's gonna happen soon. Uh, she also wrote and directed a movie called uh, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, which I really really liked too with uh, Steve Carell and Keira Knightley. Um, but this movie is uh, about Constance Wu and Jennifer Lopez. They lead a crime ring of strippers uh, to steal money from wealthy businessmen. Uh, and this movie rocks. It's so good, Mike. Uh, <laughs> it's it's really fun. Uh, it's arguably, I think it's arguably the best movie made so far about the uh, the 2008 recession uh, in this, in certain ways. Uh, I think it's got a great sense of style. I think Jennifer Lopez, like, genuinely Oscar-worthy performance. Like, I expect to, wow. like, you know, it might be a long shot, but like, I would, I would want to see her at the Oscars in in 2020 like i th- i just think it's nice like it just really is uh like she's great in the movie and uh, yeah lorraine scafario i think has been a really great writer for a while uh she's been directing a couple of movies but uh, this is the first one that really showed me like how talented she is as a director you know because uh, there's just so much it, it's sort of aping scorsese stuff but it also has its own flavor to it in the way where it's like i remember a couple of years ago i tanya came out and i was like you know i tanya it was pretty good but it just felt like a scorsese knockoff this doesn't feel like a scorsese knockoff it feels like it's its own thing um, right. Which I appreciated about it. It almost feels like if Scorsese had directed Magic Mike or something. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's just it's it's a lot of fun, and it has this, it's just it, all the characters are really great. There's a, a lot of great like it's a very funny movie, but it's also very intense at points. And uh, yeah, hustlers. Uh, great cast too. I mean, Constance Wu and Jennifer Lopez, but uh, Lily Reinhardt from Riverdale in the movie. Uh, Cardi B and Lizzo both show up in the movie, uh, which, which is fun. Uh, Julia, Julia Stiles is in this movie too And uh, a lot of other people too So yeah, Hustlers, uh, go see it, it's really good uh, And then I wanted to get into Another movie that came out this past weekend uh, Which I was looking forward to Ish, you know, because I'm a Stallone <laughs> fan I'm a Sylvester Stallone guy he, Ro- Rocky has always been my Stallone franchise uh, But I have enjoyed the Rambo Films in the past, and so I was Looking forward to Rambo Last Blood, uh, which is Theoretically the last Rambo movie Uh, (laughs) As the
2: title would imply.
0: Although no movie with the word last in the title is ever actually the last movie. True. Uh, Hello, Friday, the 13th the final chapter. Um, (laughs) And this movie is directed by Adrian Grunberg. And, uh, you know, this movie is so far removed from what the original First Blood was about that it's sort of insulting. But then again, so was every other Rambo movie after First Blood. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right uh, like First Blood is legit like a masterpiece I love that movie I think it's incredible uh, and then when you get to First Blood Part 2 like they're basically an entirely different series like they they, like, like they have essentially no connection to what First Blood was going for thematically uh, so with that in mind I had fun I had fun with Rambo <laughs> Last Blood uh, it's problematic like it's I, I'll be the first to admit that I think that there's definitely like issues with it politically speaking um, but like if you want to watch Rambo kill some motherfuckers like he does it in really fun creative ways um, so so there's that. Uh, it's basically Taken. Like the plot of this movie is Taken. Uh, the girl Rambo thinks of as his daughter, uh, she gets kidnapped by these sex traffickers when she crosses the Mexican border, and Rambo has to get her back and get revenge because that's what Rambo does. Uh, la- yeah. Last half hour of this movie is some grade A Rambo carnage. Um, it's like the first half is like Taken, and the second half is Home Alone, where Rambo's just setting these crazy traps and killing people left and right. And, uh, you know, uh, again, I think if you're going into the movie, uh, just removing yourself from the political landscape as it is right now and hoping to see, and hoping to see Sylvester Stallone kill some people, you're going to see that. And you're going to see it in really grotesque and violent and brutal and creative ways. Uh, so there is that. Uh, it, and it honestly, it does feel like a solid like grace note to end the series on. I think there is some artistry behind uh, what he's doing with the character this time around, and I think it has this really nice kind of ending moment, uh, and it also ends like a montage of all the previous Rambo movies, too, and yeah, it's kind of nice. interesting. Uh, but yeah, so that is Rambo, Last Blood, uh, hopefully the last time we ever see Rambo, because I don't imagine why Sloan would ever bring this character back at this point. <laughs> okay, okay, he's like, Sloan's about 70, I think something something along those lines it's been 11 years since the previous rambo movie uh and they and they called this one last blood so you got to assume this is intended as the end right but stallone is also very famous for not letting things end ever so uh we'll see what happens with that but uh anyway i mean not nearly not nearly as good as the creed movies but still like solid enough for rambo basically (laughs) like that's basically like if you like over the top rambo stuff rambo last blood has got it uh and then finally one last movie i wanted to mention a new comedy that uh, just premiered on Netflix uh, this weekend, and one that I was very, very hyped for, and that is Between Two Ferns, the movie.
2: Hi, welcome to another edition of Between Two Ferns. My guest today
0: is Paul Rudd. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Some people have it all. Looks,
2: talent. How does it feel to only have looks?
0: Great. I read that you might quit acting and just disappear.
1: Where did you read that?
2: Right here, I wrote it down. Which do you prefer, being in Marvel movies or being in stuff that nobody has ever heard of?
0: Uh, being in Marvel movies. I mean, do you go to your acting coach and go, I've gotta play a goddamn
1: aunt, what am I supposed to do? I you mean, lost can... me at acting coach. Yeah, that seems about right.
0: Uh, are you a Between Two ferns fan, Mike? Have you watched these uh, videos in the past?
2: uh yeah yeah i remember them okay on yeah. um, was it funny or die or some shit it, right? yeah
0: yeah it was funny or die and they uh they used to do them a lot and then it be, they became like a very sporadic thing after a while like, it was one of those things where like eh, if, if we have the time we were able to do it then great um but between two ferns for those who don't know was a web series uh starring zach Galifianakis i think before the hangover had come out they were already doing between two ferns i want to I say think so yeah yeah So stars Zach Galifianakis, um, and it's like this mock talk show where he's just kind of like asking really awkward and oftentimes like really like brutal and offensive insults to the uh, to the people that he's talking to, Uh, and that person's always like you know a pretty famous celebrity who's in on the joke, but it's also like you can see them like getting angry at Zach the entire time, and it's great. It's a very funny web series, Uh, and it was co-created by Scott Ackerman, who um, is the creator of Comedy Bang Bang, Uh, and he directed most of the episodes of the web series, and uh, you know he's hosts Comedy Bang Bang every week, did the TV show and everything like that. Uh, he's the director and writer of this movie between two ferns, the movie, uh, and it's on Netflix right now. So as a huge comedy bang bang fan, as a huge between two ferns fan, I was really looking forward to this and it does not disappoint. Uh, it's super breezy. It's very funny. Uh, it's basically just a loose series of sketches strung together over 80 minutes, uh, with, <laughs> with like this road trip narrative uh, kind of wrapped around them. Uh, think the highlights include the, uh, Peter Dinklage interview, um, who is great. Uh, there's like a lot of like really fun stuff with him. And uh, the John Legend interview. Um, and, and I think those ones really work because those ones are actually sort of woven into the narrative of the movie. Uh, and then there's just, like, random stuff. Like, Paul Rudd is in the movie. And he, he has one line that's possibly my favorite joke of 2019. Um wow. where, where he, uh, Zach starts asking him about um, his Jewishness. And he, he's asking him, like, you know, how is it that you hide your Jewishness um, in Hollywood and things like that? And it's starting to get a little, like, intense. And then he's like, so are you a practicing Jew? And Paul Rudd goes, I'm not a practicing Jew. Glasses glances off, I perfected it. Uh, <laughs> and I loved it. It was incredible. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, That's amazing. Yeah, the best parts of this movie are the interviews, like the stuff that the, show, that the web series was originally anyway. Uh, and, I mean, that barely scratched the surface of everybody who's in this movie. Tessa Thompson's in this movie. Brie Larson. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Like, a lot of, like, big names uh, are being in this movie. Will Farrell's in it playing himself as, like, the head of Funny or Die. And it's, he, he does a really good job parodying himself and uh, all that stuff. So yeah, uh, Between Two Ferns, the movie. It's on Netflix right now, and uh, definitely recommend it, especially if you're a fan of the uh, web series. Uh,
2: Wasn't Obama on the web series? He was,
0: yeah, while he was president. Uh, he, was, wow. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was on Between Two Ferns. And uh, Hillary Clinton was, too, while she was running for president as well. Um, I think I think they both realized it was like something that like you know the young kids were watching, and so they had to. Yeah. <laughs> and so they were, It was something to get uh, some exposure out there. But yeah, between two ferns, the movie. Uh, I think if you like the web series at all, it's worth watching, especially because it's only eighty minutes, and especially uh, the end credits have like a lot of bloopers and stuff like that, uh, which are also just fun to watch too. So uh, I think that about wraps things up, Mike, for our discussions. So let's move on into our featured review of Ad Astra. What are you
1: thinking about? I do what I do because of my dad. He was a hero. He gave his life for the pursuit of knowledge. Control, you getting that over?
2: out there. There's fires everywhere and plane crashes. They're calling it the search.
1: Major, we have some highly classified information. What can you tell us about the Lima project? Its objective was to search for advanced extraterrestrial life. The ship disappeared approximately 16 years into the mission. And the commander was? He was my father, sir. This might come as quite a shock to you. Your father was experimenting with a highly classified material that could threaten our entire solar system. All life would be destroyed. We're counting on you to find out what's happening out there.
0: All right, that was from the trailer for ad astra the uh, new movie written by james gray and ethan dross and directed by james gray it stars brad pitt tommy lee jones ruth nega liv tyler and donald sutherland among others and the imdb plot synopsis for ad astra reads astronaut roy mcbride undertakes a mission across an unforgiving solar system to uncover the truth about his missing father and his doomed expedition that now 30 years later threatens the universe
2: I was pretty close with my, <laughs> with my uh, description. <laughs> yeah, I think you gotta were. say.
0: Yeah, he goes looking for his father and some shit or whatever, right? Like that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Mike, how how familiar are you with the uh, with the films of James Gray? Uh, out of curiosity.
2: Um, by name, not at all. Okay. Um, what if you list some of his movies?
0: Uh, The Immigrant was one that he made a couple years ago with uh Walking Phoenix and Jeremy Renner. Uh, Marion Cotillard was in that movie too. Uh, The Lost City of Z. It uh, was another one uh, which came out a couple years ago too. Those were kind of his most most recent, more high profile movies.
2: Uh, yeah, I remember Lost City of Z. I never got around to seeing it, but I remember people like going pretty crazy for it. Yeah, those, it was those that did see it.
0: Right, exactly. But that that was one that very few people actually saw. Uh, again, At Astro, kind of the widest release of uh, James Gray's career, I'm pretty sure, and actually a pretty solid box office hit, uh, from what I understand. I don't think wow. it, I don't think I don't think it made back the budget. I think it was a little bit more expensive than. Uh, it was anticipated. I think, I think it cost like eighty million to make, uh, but it made like a solid chunk of change this past weekend. Like a beat out Rambo, which wow. is which is pretty impressive, honestly. Like the you know beating out the uh, the franchise movie that opened up against you this weekend uh, with yeah. this weird cerebral sci-fi movie. But that is the uh, the star power of Brad Pitt, perhaps. Uh, especially maybe maybe it's the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood bump that uh, that, <laughs> that helped <laughs> it out. Uh, but yeah, all right. So you really had no context for James Gray's films going into the movie, but you yeah. you, you knew that it was a space movie with Brad Pitt. Uh, What were you expecting going in, I guess?
2: Um, I remember from the trailer looking like it was going to be pretty weird. Uh, Like it was going to be kind of a heady sci-fi movie. Yes. As opposed to like an action sci-fi movie kind of thing. Yeah. Um, So I I was ready for that. But otherwise, I really wasn't... I had kind of nothing, which is the beauty of being Unsullied for the most part. Fair enough. It was like basically all I knew was it was a space movie with Brad Pitt and he goes to look for his dad or something. (laughs) And... uh, that was enough for me to be like pretty jazzed.
0: Yeah, fair enough. So what were your uh, thoughts on Ad Astra, Mike?
2: So my thoughts are I'm not really sure if I liked it. <laughs> and hear me out. Okay. Because Ad Astra is great. It was beautiful. The sound design was incredible. Uh, the performances are great. Brad Pitt's amazing. But there was just something that I was missing. Because there was a couple times where I was like, Okay, like we can move on. Like I'm re- Like you know, I kind of, I need that that's the chopping ball cut.
0: Uh, <laughs> All movies need the chopping ball cut, is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, yeah, so every
2: movie must be 75 minutes long from now on. And and this is only two hours. Like it's not like it's mid. Like I sat through three and I had three hours and 10 minutes of Midsummer. Uh, right. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, like I, and I'm totally saying like it's just a personal reaction. Like it's it like a, it's a great movie. It's great. It's beautiful. It looks amazing. It sounds great. Um, performances are excellent, but there was just something there. I don't know if it's the story. Maybe, maybe I was just kind of like, I don't know if this has the hooks for me where I just wasn't fully engaged or like, I just didn't get totally absorbed into this world, into this movie, but it's good. (laughs) Like I, like I definitely (laughs) recognize for people that this will be amazing and it is for a lot of people. Uh, but for me, was just something something not quite right. And I'm sure by the end of this episode, you will have talked me into liking this movie. And I, it's kind of what I need, is what I'm saying. Okay, well, <laughs> um,
0: fair enough, because I am one of those people who thought this movie was amazing.
2: Uh, good, good. I'm glad. I knew you would be. Yeah, uh,
0: no, I, I love this movie. I found it to be uh, just very hypnotizing. Like I, I sort of just wanted to look at it for hours and hours and hours. Uh, Hoyt Van Hoytzema was the cinematographer for this movie, uh, also the cinematographer for Interstellar. And I think uh, that's actually oh. very apt, uh, because they, they look... They both look so good. Um, and, I, yeah. and honestly, I think this movie has a lot in common with Interstellar. Um, they're both, you know, space exploration movies about a man kind of taken away from his family and that kind of thing. Uh, kind of in different ways, but still. Uh, but I think it's interesting because Chris Nolan has this reputation as being a very cold, emotionless filmmaker um, for his films. <laughs> like, like in, in, if you look at his movies, like, there's a very, like, kind of, there's a coldness yeah. to them. You know, they don't, they don't really go for emotion. They go for, like, they... Kind of pick logic over emotion in a lot of different right. in in different ways, uh, but Interstellar is like the polar opposite of a lot of Nolan's movies. They're much they're so much about the familial connection and the emotion that's felt between them. And this movie is, I think, more like what you would picture a Nolan space movie to be like, uh, in a weird way. There is like this kind of emotional disconnect with uh, with Ad Astra yes. that might be what turned you off a bit. I'm uh, I'm thinking maybe it's is that is that maybe? possible?
2: I I don't know. Like I definitely I definitely liked or I thought it was very interesting how cool and, like, suave uh, Pitt's <laughs> character is. And, and I don't mean that in, like, a James Dean, like, you know, kind of yeah. cool guy or, way. Or even
0: a uh, Cliff Booth, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood kind of way, right? Yeah,
2: but, like, it kind of feels, like, more, like, along that line. You think so? Uh, where, yeah, sort of just, like, there's one line of dialogue uh, where it's, like, you know, forget exactly what it is, but something like, oh, they, they say your heartbeat's never gone over 80 BPM. And he's just like no matter the situation, he's he's cool, he's level-headed, right. uh, ready to go, until he smokes the uh, LSD dip cigarette uh, <laughs> from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. But I don't I don't know. It was just that kind of weird uh, disconnect thing. But I, I I thought that was interesting. I thought that was really compelling in some way. Uh, But I don't know if it's, like, the larger story. Uh, I I don't know. I'm sure we'll get into it later on for for spoilers and stuff. Yeah.
0: But But, uh, but anyway, Hoi Fan, Hoi Tsumoi, shot the movie. I think it's the most beautiful-looking movie I've seen this year. I think it's incredible. Um, But even just beyond the visual level, I think there's a a very deliberate pace of the story, which I appreciated. I feel like it it moves a lot slower than a lot of other movies that come out in the year 2019. Uh, And I I kind of appreciated it for that. Um, But also, I think the sci-fi concepts in the movie I was just so fascinated by because – they're all backdrop to the movie. Like they don't draw attention to themselves. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff we'll get into in spoilers uh, in that regard, too. Um, I think the thematic territory the movie's covering is really rich and nuanced. Uh, and it's also not afraid to get like a little pulpy or action-oriented when it wants to as well. There's a couple of sequences where it's like, oh, now it's a horror movie for a few minutes. Uh, this, is, this is fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think this movie's kind of juggling a lot of different things. I think it's doing it all really successfully. Uh, This movie takes place in the near future, and it doesn't specify exactly how far away that future is. And as a result, it kind of thrusts you into this world that is similar to ours, but just different, you know? So there's like small differences in the way people talk and interact with one another and glimpses of what the world looks like and, you know, what stages we're at in the space exploration program and that kind of thing. Uh, And I think it just makes the world a really fascinating place to just watch the background of. Uh, you know, while the story's going on, it almost feels like a little bit like Blade Runner twenty forty nine, where it's just it's such a fully realized world that like you can kind of just watch it and not even pay attention to the story and just be like, wow, what's happening like over in this side of things? Like what's like what's going on on the moon over here in this corner? So yeah, I appreciated it for that too. And Brad Pitt, I mean, I think he's terrific in the lead. Like he's really, really great. I think arguably even better than he is once upon a time in Hollywood. Um, which like what a, just what a great year for Brad Pitt in movies. Like, I, feel, <laughs> I feel like I feel like we haven't seen him like be. In a like a starring role in a really high profile hit in a while, right? I, like you know he was in World War Z in twenty thirteen. Uh, oh god, yeah. You know, and I, he was in Twelve Years a Slave that same year, but that was like a small supporting role. Uh, yeah. You know, since then I feel like yeah he had Fury right, but that wasn't like a huge movie. That wasn't like a big hit. And, you know, he probably, I think he was in that Netflix movie War Machine that came out. Uh, You know, there's there's been, like, small (laughs) things here and there that he was in, uh, but nothing on the level of, like, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Ad Astra. I thought these are, like, the biggest movies he's been in in a little while. Uh, So it's kind of cool to see him back in action again. Uh, And he spends so much of this movie just isolated, trying to keep his own sanity in this cold and unfeeling universe. Uh, And I think he portrays that really well. Uh, And the supporting cast is just awesome. I think especially Tommy Lee Jones as his father. I think he's, like, incredible in the movie.
2: For the few scenes he's in, he's he's really powerful. Yeah. I mean, and so is Pitt. Every, I mean, everything he's in is great.
0: Yeah. Uh, and like I was saying, it kind of feels of a piece with, um, you know, stuff like Interstellar or Blade Runner 2049, that kind of cerebral sci-fi that we've gotten over the last few years. But I think it also feels of a piece with uh, James Gray's uh, other work, which is deci- decidedly non-sci-fi. This is his first, like, big sci-fi movie. And, you know, The Immigrant was this period piece that took place in, like, early 1900s, I think, Ellis Island, something like that. Uh, or the Lost City of Z, also early nineteen hundreds, like they're all like, like those are period pieces. Uh, but it's covering similar territory thematically to those movies, but in a new way that feels fresh. And uh, I think that's really interesting. Like all of these movies have this kind of like lingering thread of isolation that I think yeah. that I think really comes to a head in Ad Astro, where he's like literally just the only person around. Uh, in outer space.
2: Yeah, that was really interesting. Um, did you see the get a chance to watch the the Ryan Johnson uh, like Criterion interview, Adventures in Movie Going, or whatever they call that series? You know,
0: I saw that he had done one, but I, I had not uh, watched that yet.
2: Uh, it's pretty cool. I think it's probably it's on the Criterion channel. It's probably also on YouTube or something. Um, actually, I don't really know if they put those up on YouTube, but it's available places, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, and they ask him, you know, branching out from Brick, which is like this noir high school movie, and eventually getting to Looper and then Star Wars. Right. And Like the, you know, the transition to sci-fi and he has really, he had a really interesting, like it's, it's so perfectly quaint uh, the way he describes sci-fi as like, (laughs) it's not really its own genre. It's the knit tissue, tissue box cozy that you put on over other genres. And he's like, you know, like alien, it's a monster movie set in space you put the cozy on and it's sci-fi and you right. do these other things and and i feel like i was just like i watched it i think on friday and i saw this on sunday so i had on sunday so i was just thinking about it and i was like oh yeah this is a family drama with the cozy on it of sci-fi <laughs> yes. uh, like <laughs> the, the little knit tissue box cozy that's all sci-fi is yes exactly it's Like, oh thanks ryan johnson you're so cute
0: <laughs> he's the best uh oh, yeah knife that's gonna be so good uh <laughs> um but yeah any other stuff you wanted to talk about Mike, before we move on to spoilers or uh, anything else you wanted to kind of bring bring to the forefront
2: um i i really appreciated and really loved i think it sort of connects to what you were just talking about where it's like just i want to know like or I just it's interesting to watch the background of shit and just catch like Little little snippets of world building and stuff and just like the weird retro futurism like set design. Like everything looks like the future, but what people in the 60s would have thought the future looks like. Right. Uh, and it's just got this old fashioned future stuff. I don't know, it's, it's just really interesting and, and and cool the way that a lot of the stuff is designed, especially Mars, uh, which I'm sure we'll get to you. That, that very much felt like. Like you know, Reg like designed specifically to be like what old people thought the future would look like. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Just everything about it, like technically, like the, the set, the the sets, the costumes, the sound. Uh, this this movie is amazing. The mix and score and everything is great. Yeah. But I just I, don't, I wish the story connected with me more. Maybe I don't. I guess that's what it is. I can't quite put my finger on it. And that <laughs> seems like the only missing piece. Um,
0: I mean, that is a pretty major but, piece that doesn't connect with you. So that's uh, <laughs> I could see yeah. that being an issue. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I saw I saw this with somebody, and uh, you know at at the end of the movie, I was like, man, I thought that was amazing. What'd you think? And she's like, yeah, it was pretty good. Um, and yeah. And, and it was like, I feel like that's, I think, I think that's going to be the takeaway for some people because it is, again, I think cerebral sci-fi, this kind of stuff is often a very hard sell. You're usually pretty into that stuff.
2: Yeah. That's, that's why I'm not sure if it's this specific story maybe or what, I, I don't know. Cause it's not something that I would shy away from. I usually like this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's actually a really funny moment. I don't remember specifically what moment in the movie it was. But, you know, this, like, kind of powerful family stuff going on. And I saw it with my parents, and, like, I glanced over at my dad, like, in the, you know, I like, got a big moment, and yeah. <laughs> he's reclining seats, like, out, mouth open, like, asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> so, so, old people, you know? Yeah,
0: the common man. Who... <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: The working man.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right, so at Astra, I mean, I, I really loved it. Uh, Mike, it seems like he appreciated it um but perhaps didn't connect with it the way he wanted to and as far as other people go eh, your mileage might vary a little bit but (laughs) (laughs) from thinking it was pretty good to falling open mouth asleep in your chair
2: (laughs) my dad ever since that like the theater by us full-time like move like renovated and has the reclining chairs yeah every movie he falls asleep (laughs) in now (laughs) <laughs> i was like you're such a typical 65 year old man like you just can't handle it that's great that's awesome uh <laughs> all right i think
0: i think there's a lot more talk about in the movie mike and spoilers so let's uh, go into that right now so spoilers for ad astra starting now
2: be, be, stop me, stop me, stop me, you. all
0: right uh spoilers for ad astra starting right now so uh yeah like i was saying a lot of a uh, background sci-fi concept that this movie kind of deals with one of my favorite things in the movie um, is that humanity has mastered space travel to the point where we now have commercial flights to the moon? Um, yeah, you know, and you see kind of Brad Pitt on like a space, like you know, there's a stewardess kind of like floating through the <laughs> the like the rocket, and she's like passing peanuts out uh, and that kind of thing. Uh, and then you get to the moon's spaceport, and it looks exactly like. The airports that you see on Earth, like you know, our normal airports, complete with Applebee's and Subways, yep. and I think it's just this, like you know, Brad Pitt kind of comments on it in his voiceover a little bit, but it's just it's this background glimpse of how commercialism like infiltrates these things that we find beautiful uh and i think that was just a really like fun concept and a really like cool idea to explore a little bit uh it actually very much reminded me of an episode of futurama weirdly enough Um, (laughs) it's like the second episode of futurama where they go to the moon and it's all like this commercialized like um amusement park they go to right yeah Uh, yeah yeah it's basically it was just that but in the background of this movie which i appreciated uh also there's like pirates on the moon and shit like there's some weird shit going on (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know,
2: it was really funny. Actually, producer Colin texted me. Yeah. And was like one of one of his great he loved this movie, but one of his gripes or like things he pointed out out was it's established on the flight that it's clearly only for very rich people to go to the moon. Yeah. He asked for the blanket. and It's like one hundred fifty dollars or whatever. I forget what it is. Yeah. But, like, how did these pirate guys get there? Because you would only be a pirate if you're poor. Like, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. I mean, there's, but, uh,
0: I think there's a million different explanations that, that, that could be. Like, you know, people, like, stowed away on the moon or whatever. Or they were, like, born there. They stowed away <laughs> yeah, on Yeah, like, I guess You know, because there's a, there's a moment where um, Ruth Nega mentions that she was born on Mars. Right? So, right. So there's things like that where it's, like, you know, these people could have been, like, there's, like, there's got to be, like, communities on these different places, like, on the moon and on Mars and things like that. that yeah, that's that, true. That this movie doesn't even explore but hints at uh so i think there is like stuff like that where it could be like yeah there's there's explanations for why there could be pirates on the moon like i i, I could yeah it. yeah i
2: pointed out too i think uh there's an announcement i think either on the flight or when he's walking through the terminal and it's past the dhl um uh you know on the moon and they, there's like an announcement saying like oh there's different mines that are considered to be at war with each other right uh like so i was like maybe it's miners that ran away and became pirates but like that's just a throwaway thing in the background and we just never acknowledge it. And then whatever. Yeah. I mean, until the pirates, I guess, but
0: yeah. I mean, the movie is so sorely focused on Brad Pitt and his journey to find his father. And, you know, again, all this stuff is kind of relegated to the background, but I think that's what makes it so fascinating. is it's because you don't have these like big explanations for why these things happen. You don't get the full history of like, okay, and this is why this happened. And this, why this happened. And that's why we have pirates on the moon. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's
2: pirates on the moon the seventh pirates of the caribbean movie <laughs> can't wait man
0: i once once they cross over with fast and furious it's all over uh, <laughs> yeah and mission
2: impossible <laughs> yes. that's gonna be over
0: that's gonna be great um but yeah but i i love that whole sequence i love that whole concept just like you know it's throwing stuff out there doesn't really take it doesn't really take the time to explain why it's happening it just kind of lets you kind of like just kind of go with it on your own uh yeah i appreciated that for it and you know that whole sequence where the pirates ambush them i think it's great uh and they're you know it's brad pitt and donald sutherland and one guy dies and it's just it's wild and again there's like periods like this movie's most like 95 it's like kind of hypnotic cerebral kind of inwardly emotional sci-fi movie in the almost in the vein of like a terrence malick movie uh in some way i thought of that
2: a lot yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, and then every once in a while it turns into an action movie. There's like, there's like, <laughs> like, for that, like shootout scene with the pirates. Like that's like this whole like big intense sequence. Uh, the scene, there's a scene in the movie where it like turns into event horizon for like 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> when, uh, Brad Pitt is, uh, first leaving, the, he, he's leaving the moon on his way to Mars. Um, yes. and he's on and he's with this crew that's supposed to take the, that's supposed to take him to Mars. I don't think Mars is commercialized yet um yeah, it's think, like
2: a military base or something yeah it's like a
0: military like research station that kind of thing uh and so the way it works is brad pitt goes to the moon he gets on this ship with this crew that's supposed to like escort him to mars and on their way there uh they find this distress signal from this like ship out in space and they're like oh we gotta go check it out and i'm like no you fools haven't you seen event horizon um <laughs> <laughs> uh and they go to like help out the ship sending a distress signal and they end up getting attacked by a space baboon
2: uh, <laughs> yeah, two space baboons.
0: Two space baboons. Yeah, and it kind of turns into like this horror movie for a minute where like this baboon jumps out at, at you and you're not even sure what like I th- I thought this movie was going a very different route than the movie ultimately <laughs> ends up going. And I was like, holy shit. This is it's a, a
2: sequel. It's a secret life sequel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> can, can you imagine if, like, you know, the movie was like halfway get through and they do this thing where they go into the ship and the space baboon attacks them, and then suddenly Sam Neill without eyes comes out and it's <laughs> oh, and God. it turns out this is Event Horizon Two the entire time. This weird art house sci-fi Event Horizon Two
2: it all tracks yeah,
0: i i i would have flipped out like like imagine like when split ended and it revealed that it was a secret unbreakable sequel imagine <laughs> imagine that times a hundred with me in the theater i would have yeah i would have stood up and like you know just started applauding like i would i would have been absolutely insane um but
2: but it's not but it's not
0: <laughs> and, and to be fair i think the movie we got is way better than whatever that movie would be but <laughs> Uh but there was that brief moment where I was like, oh man, is this is Event Horizon 2 all over again. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, it's so weird that scene that shot when uh when he finds the captain or like finds his captain and he and he's just like you just see the body shaking. Yeah. And you're like, well, what the fuck is going on? And then <laughs> it like slowly turns and it's a baboon. I'm like what? Yes, so good so great
0: yeah Uh, but yeah so eventually after that they finally get to Mars and uh, those those sequences on Mars might be my favorite section of the film I think they're really incredible Uh, just the way like you were mentioning before the way Mars is so fully realized and the way it uses the color red is just like there's so many different shades of it it's so cool it kind of reminded me of Ex Machina actually Um, the way it's kind of like reflecting in the hallways and things like that uh and uh, you get that awesome supporting performance from ruth nega during that segment and she's great in the movie uh also you get this, this awesome scene where brad pitt's trying to send this message to his father and i think that's like arguably the emotional crux of the movie right there at least until the very end um when he finally meets his father um yeah but like that whole sequence where he's like reading the prepared statements that they wrote out for him and then he kind of starts speaking from the heart a little bit uh i think was really great uh and also natasha leone is there like hell yeah well why not <laughs> natasha leone right <laughs>
2: Um, That was just one of the moments where, like, the sound design really stood out to me. Mm. Uh, Because it's like Cage, or Cage, Jesus. It's Brad Pitt. (laughs) You spent too much time talking
0: about Nicolas Cage movies.
2: (laughs) My Event Horizon moment. I I I I don't know what just happened. I went through a different universe. We're going, we Uh, don't
0: need eyes to see Cage.
2: (laughs) Now, Sam Neill and Nick Cage in a movie. That should happen. No, that's
0: a movie, yeah.
2: No, that's a movie. Anyway, back to Brad Pitt. He's in, like, a soundproof room in that. Right. And, like you're hearing him th- through the microphone in the room like i don't know it's just one of those moments where like i really noticed the like care and the sound design around a lot of stuff and a lot of the like silence in this movie right they're in space a lot of it is people breathing or people talking over a radio uh, it's just really it's really interesting and it's cool it reminded me a lot of like 2001 uh, space odyssey especially that i forget it's been a long time since i've seen it but i definitely fell apart fell asleep in the movie uh, in the part where is just like the guy breathing for ten minutes. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. forget what's happening. In two thousand one. In two thousand one, yeah, yeah. yeah, it might be the end, uh, like the the weird trip scene, the yeah. uh, whole thing. But yeah, I don't know. I just kept thinking of that and like the care, like to the the sound. You know, there's no sound in space. Yeah. Um, and and a lot of the design of of Mars specifically reminded me of two thousand one. There's the one scene when they have like the conversation in. in uh, the the woman's like office and she like reveals the truth about what happened to the Lima project and his father. Right. And they're just like kind of in a white room with like this like slow strobing red on the wall behind them. It's like what the fuck is going on? Uh but it looked amazing. It was beautiful.
0: Yeah, no, it looks so good. So good. And again, Ruth Nega, I think fantastic in this movie. Uh and I mentioned before, she she mentions that she was born on Mars. And again, that's just one of those small sci-fi details and it just it sent my mind in a million directions when she said that like I was like I had so many questions like is she a US citizen you know uh, how long right. how long have we lived on Mars like how long have we had people on there are there large communities on the planet you know and that's part of what I love about the movie it introduces those ideas as a backdrop to the world it creates uh, but doesn't fixate on them because the story that it's telling is uh, Brad Pitt uh, looking for his father but the I think the idea is like you know I I doubt they're going to do, like, you know, an Ad Astra spinoff at some point, but they could (laughs) because of the world this establishes, you know? Uh, It's one of those things where it's so, like, impressively detailed and there's so many, like, interesting concepts around every corner... Uh, that you could potentially make like a couple of movies about just like, hey, what's life on Mars like now? You know, like what's going on yeah. with uh, Ruth Negus character? What's she doing? Uh, and uh, every supporting performance in this movie is really only in like a small chunk of the movie. Um, yeah, because it's really like Brad Pitt's thing, like his journey through each kind of stop post. It almost feels like a series of vignettes. Uh, you have like the scene, scenes where he's on Earth, and he learns about his mission, and then you have him on the moon, and the airport, and the pirates, and then you have him on Mars, and he's trying to contact his dad, and then there's the whole sequence where he's traveling to Neptune on his own, uh, for reasons that are sort of his fault, um, and, then, <laughs> uh, and then he finally makes it to Neptune with his father, and then finally makes his way back. Um, but yeah, after, after the whole Mars sequence, he, um, goes and they're, they're going to go to Neptune without him and just destroy his father. Like they're going to, they're going to go and yeah. kill him. Uh, and Brad Pitt like can't allow that. Like he's, he's mostly going to sp- like, he's going to space because, you know, he's the one for the job. He has the most emotional connection to it. But at the same time, he's going to space. Like he established at the beginning that he prefers the isolation. He prefers the loneliness of space. And like, he just isn't emotionally available for the people on earth. Um right. And so he, his, this whole journey for him is sort of about trying to get that back in a weird way, right? That, that, kind, of, that kind of emotional connection. Um, yeah. And so throughout, like, he goes and he ends up uh, kind of stowing away on the ship of the uh, people that are going to fly to Neptune to kill his father and ultimately ends up killing all the people on the ship um, sort of by accident. <laughs> in, yeah. You know, like
2: through like a Shakespearean comedy of errors.
0: Yeah, I mean, the crew, the, tr- the crew's trying to retaliate, and they end up like accidentally killing themselves, and he ends up killing one of them, and it's a whole thing. But uh, the movie also never shies away from the consequences of his actions. I think, you know, it, it, like a lot of people die on his journey to Neptune, essentially, uh, and he's this sort of emotional blank for the entire movie. So I think it all comes together and hits harder when he finally does get to Neptune, uh, and he finally meets Tommy Lee Jones in person to discover they're like basically the same person. Um, yeah, which I found really fascinating. Um, but the way it's kind of set up, like Tommy Lee Jones is so far gone, and there's still there's still time for Roy to get back from the brink of despair that Tommy Lee Jones is on, uh, and that's yeah. and that's sort of where you get where you get to at the very end of the movie, uh, where you know be, he begins the movie craving the isolation of space, and then he ends the movie. You know, he kind of finally crash lands on Earth, and he gets taken out by these two guys, and he's just so happy to be back on Earth and seeing people again. And he ends it embracing having people close to him and he re- he's reconnecting with his wife played by Liv Tyler and that's kind of where the movie ends and I think that's just a really perfect way to end that character's arc
2: yeah I thought it was a really interesting way for when he meets Tommy Lee Jones and you find out like you said that they're kind of the same and, he, and he's like you know I forget the line exactly that Tommy Lee Jones says like I had to pursue my work and if that meant leaving my son and my family like so be it Right. Of. it's something along those lines yeah
0: he, one, he has Gosh. one line where like, what I love about it like he finds his dad at the end of the movie and I think 98% of movies would play that as like this big emotional catharsis moment uh, and this movie plays it very cold and very reserved and it makes it clear that Tommy Lee Jones stayed in space of his own choosing um, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, there's the yeah. the one line he has, where he's like, uh, you know, I, st- I decided to stay out here, and I haven't thought about you once since I <laughs> since I left. Right, and that like, it was just the most like brutally harsh thing he could have possibly said Oof. to Brad Pitt, and Brad Pitt has almost no reaction to it. There's a single tear that rolls down his cheek, uh, mm-hmm. and then he's just like, yeah, I know, Dad. Uh, which yeah. ultimately makes it like feel tougher, you know, it that feel, feels like more intense to me.
2: Yeah, but I was gonna say that I think it's this weird. This interesting kind of like uh, uh meditation on like trauma and masculinity and the way that's passed down to through generations and yeah. the way like all of his actions like destroy the like literally killed the lives of people around him yeah uh and the way that all kind of stemmed from his father and and i thought it was a i kind of appreciated the way to not have that be like a fairy tale reunion like it doesn't save his dad and his dad doesn't want him to be saved. Yes. He doesn't want him there. He's like, get the fuck out of the way. You're you're in my way. But that was so weird. I thought it was very weird at the end where, like, uh, or just before that, I guess, when, when they're, like, kind of getting ready to leave and Tommy Lee Jones, like, kill, kills himself and he's, like, gets him to let him go. I, like, that seemed so contrived. Uh, I don't know. I thought
0: that was incredible. I, I thought that was great. I, I... I... Like that that moment where Tommy Lee Jones like unhooks himself and like just you see his body like because it's it's so like the way it's shot like it's just it like he basically does it off screen and then you see his body like floating in the background yeah yeah um, and when I saw like I literally gasped in the theater like I audibly like <laughs> had a very loud gasp uh, and he like launches into deep space and Brad Pitt does go after him and Tommy Lee Jones is able to like kind of push him away and get him to let let him go uh, yeah yeah I thought I thought that was a I, th- I thought that was an incredible moment.
2: I don't know. It just felt weird. Like the whole time where he's like, either we're both going to die or I'm going to die. And you get to decide, I guess. I don't, I don't know. It was was just like muddied my reaction to the scene before it, I guess. Okay. But it's definitely powerful. Like it's definitely intense and scary. And, and you know, that whole, this, just them breathing.
0: Right. (laughs) The silence really like that really emphasized the silence of that scene where it's like, you don't hear like, there's no, there's no sound going on. Uh, and again, he's just kind of floating in the background, just really suddenly, like he's going really fast. And it's like, holy shit. Yeah, it really, like, knocked me. And that's what I like about the movie is, like, I think there's a lot of, like, cerebral sci-fi movies that don't have really intense, exciting action sequences. And this one does.
2: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Which I appreciated about it. Um, because I, I love my, like, weird cerebral sci-fi movies. But, you know, they can be a lot every once in a while. Um, yeah. And, you know, this this one almost, like, kind of takes a break from the cer- cerebral sci- sci-fi stuff to, you know, throw in, like, you know, this really intense action sequence. Uh, every, like, half hour or so, and uh, I appreciated yeah. it for that reason. I mean, it makes it sound like, yeah, you know, I only like movies that have explosions every couple of minutes, and I do. No, no. <laughs> and, and that's not what I'm trying to say, but I feel like you know, this movie has a very good sense of pacing and, like, understanding, you know, how to keep a story interesting, I guess. Right. Uh, like, if it was just two hours of nothing but um, thoughtful meditation on the <laughs> idea of being in space, that can be great, and there are movies that are great that are that, but if you have, like, you know, a sequence with a space baboon, then, <laughs> then you might you're gonna capture people's attention a little bit more. I think is what I'm yeah. saying. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, so yeah, at Astra, I mean, I, I really love the movie. I think it's uh, really great. It's honestly one of my favorite movies of the year right now. Uh, and did did my did I sway you at all, Mike? Did anything I say uh, <sighs> sway sway your opinion on the movie?
2: You know, I'm not really sure. Still, I mean, it's not like I dislike the movie. You know, if that if that makes sense, like sure. i'm kind of in between i don't know where i stand yet Uh, i think it's i'm gonna have to see it again i guess is what i'm saying just engage with it more and see what i see if i can make a decision because like like i said i'm acknowledging it's great it like it is technically amazing um and i just don't know if if it connects with me and i'm gonna have to try again
0: i mean there are definitely movies that uh, that are like that for a lot of people for for sure yeah uh you know the original blade runner took me a long time to really uh, appreciate uh way. Exactly. so there's stuff like that for sure uh but yeah if you're gonna see ad astra i'd recommend doing it in a theater because just seeing that on the big screen with like the, the visuals and the sound design like it's really like it's like nothing else out there right now uh so i would recommend it just for that alone like it's just so cool to, to see yeah um but all right that is ad astra uh, any final thoughts on the movie mike before we start uh, moving on to our next segment
2: uh no because i'm kind of waffly so okay. <laughs> i don't have any <laughs> any enough. further thoughts I'm, I'm gonna have to see it again stay tuned i guess all
0: right fair enough so that is our review of ad astra i loved it mike appreciated it but didn't uh, really connect with it that much uh and now you know ad astra's over the credits are rolling let's say you're watching it on netflix uh and you know suddenly the credits turn into a little square and then three tiny squares appear at the bottom of the screen and telling you hey if you liked ad astra you may also like this If you like this random movie, you may also like these. If you don't like these movies, then you have half a brain. We're like the Netflix algorithm, but with much better taste. So just let these random movies put a smile on your face. All right, and now it's time for You May Also Like, the segment of the show where we kind of give our own Netflix algorithm recommendations uh, for movies based on the movie that we just reviewed, which was Ad Astra, of course, if you forgot after the last 20 seconds. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because we're better than the Netflix algorithm, right, Mike? That's the, that's the whole idea behind this.
2: That's the theory, yes. Yes,
0: the Netflix algorithm is, is dumb. It's useless. It doesn't actually tell you what you want to watch. We're the ones who are like, hey, we know movies. We can tell you. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) We can tell you what to watch. So, uh, Mike, why don't you go first? Uh, What do you think people would also like if they liked Ad Astra?
2: I think people would also like uh, 2016's Arrival, directed by Danny Villeneuve. Yeah. uh, Starring Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner.
1: Okay, this is where you want to get to, right?
2: That is the question.
1: Okay. So, first, we need to make sure that they understand what a question is. Okay. The nature of a request for information, along with the response. Then... We need to clarify the difference between a specific you and a collective you, because mm, we don't want to know why Joe Alien is here. We want to know why they all landed. And purpose requires an understanding of intent. We need to find out, do they make conscious choices, or is their motivation so instinctive that they don't understand a why question at all. And and biggest of all, we need to have enough vocabulary with them that we understand their answer. I get it. Stick to your
2: list. Just don't add anything to it. Uh, this I think was my number one movie that year. It was. I don't remember. Yeah. Yes. I'm glad that you remember. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's just this this deeply, deeply, deeply human story with the tissue box, knit tissue box cover of a science fiction alien movie sure, yeah. uh, <laughs> over the top of it. Um, you know, I- aliens come to Earth, and there's this. The Amy Adams is a linguist, I think, or something like that, uh, trying okay. to just d- decipher what's going on uh, and what they want. Yes. And yeah, I don't know. It just it just clicked I mean, obviously, it's sci-fi aliens. We're they're not. We're on Earth. We right know we're not in space, but. Uh, this deeply human story about memory and and time and uh, what it means to live life, like to have an experience knowing what the ending might not be great uh, or, you know, going against what you're not sure about. Yeah. And just like, yeah, fucking Arrival, man. What a great fucking movie. Yeah,
0: I have not watched Arrival since it was in theaters. Uh, and I really liked it back then. but I haven't, I haven't uh, seen it since. I'd like to rewatch it because it was, it was really good. Uh, Arrival. Yeah. yeah. Some really solid stuff. I think it's interesting that you picked a movie that um, is so emotionally involved compared to ad astra too um <laughs> yeah that's a really good point which i think which i think is kind of cool and it's also sort of a movie about par- a parenthood as well yeah so there's i think a couple of like thematic connections between ad astra and arrival that you can definitely kind of point to uh but it all, it all it ultimately plays like kind of the reverse where it's like you know ad astra is this kind of distant emotionally cold movie arrival is this movie about empathy and uh you know kind of creating this emotional bond so uh
2: yeah yeah, yeah it is all just all about the human connection and, and uh you know, like, love is the fifth element, basically. Right. Or, <laughs> um, like, if you're you know, it's worth to go through pain to experience love in yeah. the end uh, kind of thing. Did
0: neither of us pick the fifth element as a movie? What are we doing, Mike?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm all thrown out of whack.
0: Yeah, all right. Uh, let's move on to my pick. Uh, I think if you liked Ad Astra, you may also like 1964's Robinson Crusoe on Mars.
1: For the survival record, I've been taking Friday's oxygen pills. Chemically, of course, I have no way of analyzing them. As to how they work, I've noticed that I inhale and exhale and use the thin Martian atmosphere, but I don't need it. Somehow these pills bypass the lungs and produce
0: oxygen right in the blood.
2: You ah, fucking son of a
0: bitch! <laughs> Are you a fan of this movie? Have you seen this?
2: I have not, but it's just that title sounds incredible. Oh, it's great. It's,
0: yeah, it's in the Criterion collection, actually. What? It is, yeah.
2: I didn't order that movie we were talking about earlier from Criterion. <laughs> so maybe I will.
0: Maybe you'll order this one instead, yeah. Uh, yes. This is an independent sci-fi movie from 1964 directed by uh, Byron Haskin. Uh, it stars Paul Manti in the lead role, Victor London, and uh, Adam West in the supporting role as well. Uh, right before, wow. Right before he was cast as Batman, too, which is kind of cool. Uh, but this movie's about two astronauts uh, orbiting Mars that crash land on the planet and they get separated. And we follow one of them, uh, Paul Mantee, uh, his journey as he tries to survive along with his pet monkey. Uh, he, he tries to survive Mars alone. Uh, and I think it's in keeping with the themes of isolation and the need for human contact that Ad Astra has. Plus, there's the Mars connection as well. And there's even the monkey connection because there's a monkey in this movie and there's a baboon in Ad Astra's. So, <laughs>
2: that's amazing so
0: there's that and the, about halfway through the movie it, it kind of it stops being about that like last man on mars type thing where it's just just him and it starts he starts to discover like these uh aliens and he's kind of trying to survive them too and uh it's just really fun kind of pulpy sci-fi movie from the 60s uh that i think uh, if you like that astra i think uh, you might want to give robinson crusoe on mars a shot it's pretty good
2: it just sounds like it'd be a Flash Gordon episode right? or something. Yes. Like, <laughs> that's amazing.
0: Yeah, so that is a Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Mike, what else uh, would you like to recommend people uh, if they like that Astra? Uh,
2: my second pick is 2013's Upstream Color, directed by Shane Carruth. All right. Uh, they could be Starlink. They could be Starlink. When I was little,
0: my friend Randy would come over, and I'd get really mad because he, every time my mom would make cookies,
2: I would eat them all. Reddy. He,
0: this up. He's he was fat, he was he was fat, he My neighbor Renny, I told you this story. much ready? What? does not look unimproved.
2: Right. It's much better. Much better, right? I guess so. Who said that?
1: Who said, who said that? Who said they were crackles? Crackles.
0: But they could
1: be startling. They could be struggling. So I was
2: really excited to
1: swing. Yeah. And he
2: didn't even have a chance to tell me that there was bird shit all over the slide. So I went down anyways. Wait. Renny. Right. My neighbor.
1: You're,
0: tell- you're, doing, it you doing?
2: you're doing it again. What are you doing? You're doing it again. The kid almost drowned. Starring Shane Caruth and Amy Simons. Uh, and this is also a <laughs> deeply. Em- all the movies I picked are deeply emotional uh, movies. So maybe that's why I didn't connect to Ed Astor. That coldness. Uh, it's possible. Just was, was a barrier for me. Uh, but yeah, upstream color is kind of, kind of indescribable. Really, like it kind of defies a plot. There's not much of a plot going on. Yeah, it's sort of this love story. Maybe uh, it's kind of like watching. It's a relationship movie about these two people that like have. Both possibly shared this trauma uh, that they don't, aren't, uh, neither of them are aware of, of, and them trying to just like have a relationship through it while also just being a meditation on life. uh, It's very much like a Terrence Malick movie. Like, I just kept thinking of. I don't think I've ever actually seen The Tree of Life, but I definitely remember the trailer where it's just a lot of (laughs) close ups on hands slowly caressing leaves. So you've basically seen
0: The Tree of Life, is what you're saying.
2: Is what I'm saying. And. (laughs) upstream color is a lot of that it's like people walking down a hallway and just like their hands slowly tracing a path down the wall uh and a lot of that shit but it's like it's amazing um it's one of those movies that i kind of like i said there's not really a plot but somehow at the end i was crying and like i don't know why i just was like "What's what's happening um yeah it's just beautiful and i i definitely recommend If you can, watch it with headphones on because it's like about sound, also. Okay. If you have like really good headphones, if you have like decent, if you don't have, if you have like shitty little earbuds, like forget it, just watch it on your TV. But if you have like solid headphones, uh, watch it because it's about sound and the way that, like, it's in in the movie, it's like used to control people. I don't know. And and it just reminded me that the structure of Ad Astra, where it's a lot of flashbacks or, or not even flashbacks, like memories. Like, you know, there'll be a scene where brad Pitt's voiceover. will talk about his life on Earth, and it will just flash back to a scene with Liv Tyler, like throwing her keys on the table and walking out. Right. Upstream Color is very much about memory, and like it, it feels like watching a dream. Have you seen Upstream Color? I, had,
0: I saw it once when it came out. Uh, or it might have been slightly after it came out. It was like 2013, 2014, uh, and I I was very excited about it because um, I had heard a lot of people talking about it. I remember not really connecting with it. Uh, that much, honestly. Really? But I would like to rewatch it at some point. Because I, I, I felt the same thing about uh, Primer, which is the other Shane yeah. movie, uh, which is also, I think it's, it's interesting because Primer is a very emotionally distant movie and Upstream Color is not. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think they're both really, I think they're both really interesting movies, but they're movies that I just did not connect with at all. Uh, and I haven't watched them since. And I would like to kind of give them another watch but so when you're talking about upstream color like i remember basically nothing about it like it's it's been <laughs> okay i feel like there was pigs involved at some point am i right about there that? there are pigs involved yes, yes. okay <laughs> I, I vag- but i'm
2: not really sure why i don't okay, know They're just what they are involved i
0: vaguely remember pigs i remember the poster of the movie because it was like a very distinctive poster It was like the two leads um shane Carruth and amy simons uh in the bathtub together i think
2: yeah um yep
0: other- otherwise like i really don't remember that much about the movie. Um,
2: yeah, and it kind of defies explanation in some weird way. Uh, Ryan Johnson picked it in his adventures in moviegoing, oh, okay. so watch his little bit. Talk about it. Uh, it's like a three-minute thing, yes. uh, and then watch Upstream Color. It's available on the Criterion Channel. Nice. Yeah, that's. Just, I don't know. There's one. There's one scene I just want to talk about real quick. Sorry, because <laughs> yeah, it just this movie affected me in some way. Um, there's a moment where it's like it's kind of this this guy who's like checking in on the pigs uh, <laughs> which doesn't make any sense sure and he's like able to see people's lives and like check in on the people that the pigs represent which there's a reason for it um, <laughs> okay. if you see the movie uh but it's like he checks in on this guy right after his girlfriend dies or is being taken away in an ambulance or something yeah and then he starts like reliving that guy's memory of right before that And you just, it's just this really weird, interesting thing where it's, it's like the same scene six times in a row. And it just slowly morphs from them having an argument and him storming out of the house and being like, whatever, you're, you're a lost cause. And he walks off, I'm going to the store. And then when he comes back, she's in the, like the medics are there. And then it repeats as it slowly becomes him saying, I love you by the time he leaves the door. Okay. Uh, you know, where it's just like the way your memory will change the story of what happened to you. So it's like a good memory, uh so i don't know it was just really fast that that one specific sequence like really blew my f- mind yeah. uh, um, so i don't know that's that's upstream color that's a really long-winded way to say yeah uh, i recommend that movie
0: that's really interesting yeah again that's a movie that's a, it's, it was almost like my ad astra for you when i was yeah <laughs> when it came out uh we just like i appreciated a lot of it and i just didn't connect with the movie but it's definitely something i would like to rewatch at some point
2: if you want a, a heady sci-fi cerebral thing check it check it out
0: upstream color is a thing all right so yeah that's yeah. upstream color uh, and then for my next recommendation, I'm actually going with, uh, one from director James Gray, who directed Ad Astra. Uh, and normally I, I feel like I wouldn't do that normally. Are you
2: allowed to do that?
0: I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that to myself. Like, am I, like, I don't know if I would normally do that because that's like, it almost feels like cheating, but I am going with his previous film, which the reason I'm picking it is because A, it was pretty underseen. Not a lot of people actually saw the movie. And B, it's a very different movie from Ad Astra in terms of what the actual story is, But it it covers a lot of similar territory, and that is the lost city of Z.
1: Neither country will accept mapping done by the other, so they've requested us to act as referee. Mm. As you completed your mapping here with distinction, you came under our consideration. I see. (laughs) Sars, may I speak candidly? Please. My survey work was long ago. To be quite honest, I was rather hoping for a position where I might see a fair bit of action. Major, this is far more than just survey work. This is exploration in the jungle. The environment's brutally difficult. Terrible disease, murderous savages. The journey may well mean your life. At the very least, you will be gone for several years. But were you to succeed, such an undertaking could earn you soldierly decoration and even reclaim your family name.
0: Uh, Which we mentioned a couple times during the actual review about Astra. Uh, This stars Charlie Hunnam, Robert Pattinson, Sienna Miller, and Tom Holland, Spider-Man himself. Uh, And, you know, it's the previous film from James Gray, and I think it covers similar territory. It's a true story about an explorer in the early 1900s, and he's played by Charlie Hunnam. Who becomes obsessed with discovering this ancient city in Brazil, Uh, and his quest often puts him at odds with his family as he keeps uh, leaving behind his wife and his son, uh, you know, who are Sienna Miller and Tom Holland, uh, to go South Africa or South America and look for this lost city. Uh, And then the father-son relationship ends up actually becoming a major focus during the last third of the movie. And Hanum's character, it just it's like a dry run for Tommy Lee Jones in Ad Astra, essentially.
2: Is is it some kind of the fountain situation where like, this is the Spanish conquistador plot line. <laughs>
0: and that Astro is the weird sci-fi plot line. This is the weird sci-fi plot line.
2: <laughs> it's actually the same characters maybe. Man,
0: maybe it's this very elaborate setup from uh, James Gray, actually, if that's the case. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so I, I thought I was thinking about that and I was thinking about, you know, like again, this is a very, this movie that came out in 2017, I think it cost like 30 million to make. It might've made back like 15 million on its budget, it played in very limited release. uh didn't play in any theaters near me. I had to watch it on DVD when it came out um but it's so worth watching i think it's really really great uh like *Ad astra i think it's a very beautiful movie to look at i think it's a very unique movie about exploration and uh i, I think you know charlie hunnam's actually very good in the movie and i feel like charlie hunnam not somebody who i think is generally very good in a lot of things uh so not, <laughs> not to knock charlie hunnam i think he's probably a fine actor he's great in undeclared back in the day um what did you watch undeclared mike that was a great show uh <laughs>
2: Oh my god! Never mind. I was very confused. What did you think? I was thinking of what's that Justin Long movie?
0: Oh, Accepted, which is also a great movie. Um... <laughs> I was like, wait, Charlie Hunnam was in that? <laughs> yeah.
2: There's a lot of people in that movie. There There is
0: was. There's a lot of people in that movie. I don't think Charlie Hunnam is one of them, but uh, this, I'm not. I'm not making Accepted one of my picks because I, I don't know how how I would make that work. But Accepted is great. <laughs> people sh- people should watch Accepted if they have to.
2: I did four picks the last two times, so you can have four. You can have four
0: so picks. So I just got to quickly figure out a way to connect accepted to Ad Astra, is what you're saying. Correct. You see the scene where Jonah Hill puts on a hot dog costume and asks people to ask him about his wiener, it connects to what Brad Pitt is going through, the isolation and the loneliness that he feels. Right. The separation from the frat brothers and the separation from humanity. It's all its all connected. Um but See, you did it. I did it. Uh, but any, anyway, The Lost City of Z. It's really, really great. It's a great movie of aspiration. And again, I think if you want to have a better understanding of Tommy Lee Jones's character in Ad Astra, I think actually this is a really great movie to watch and kind of picture Charlie Hunnam turning into Tommy Lee Jones and Tom Holland almost as if he's the Brad Pitt character uh, in the movie. I mean, Tom Holland doesn't really become a factor of the movie until like the last like third um, but mm-hmm. still, it's really, it's really interesting stuff there.
2: Wanted. I remember when that came out, and I wanted to see it, and I just never got around to it. Yeah. But so I guess I'm gonna have to watch it. Uh,
0: I'd recommend it. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, all right, that is the Lost City of Z. Mike, you have one more to go through.
2: My last pick is 2009's Moon, directed by Duncan Jones. That's a great starring one. Starring Sam Rockwell.
0: Love that movie. Yeah. Sam, is everything okay?
2: Sam. What? You don't seem like yourself
1: today. Uh, happened. you know, can you turn that off, please? Jesus Christ. Sam, it might help you to talk about it.
2: Gertie, have you heard anything new about anyone fixing LunarSat?
1: No, Sam. What I understand is it's fairly low on the company's priority
2: list right now. You tell them to sort that out. You know what I'm talking about? That's not... I've only got two weeks, but it's not fair to whoever's coming up here next.
1: I will, Sam. Do you want me to finish cutting your hair later?
2: No, come on, let's finish this. Yeah, I mean, uh, talk about a movie uh, exploring the, the isolation of space. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the dehuman, dehumanization of that, uh, what that means, what that does to your psyche. Sure. I remember, <laughs> ironically, this is a movie that uh, my friend in college... Uh, torrented and got caught torrenting and it's always been this movie that like he refused to watch after that like after he got like in trouble from SUNY Alphonse Uh
0: (laughs) you know that's weird I had a similar um I had a similar thing with that uh really where I we were at a friend's dorm and I brought over my blu-ray of Tucker and Dale versus evil um and we got caught that night while we are watching Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, uh, drinking in the dorm, and we weren't supposed to be doing that. Um, and so we got we got written up by our RA, we got documented, and things like that. And I still have my Blu-ray of Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. I have not watched it since. Uh, oh
2: my God. <laughs> you would love it. That's the best part. It's
0: a, it's a great movie. It's a great. I, I, I had seen it before, like before that. Movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I, I had seen the movie. I think I had seen it like once, and then I like brought it over and like, hey, you guys got to watch this. This is really fun. And then we got documented, and I was like, well, never going to watch that movie ever
2: again. <laughs> never it's bad, mind. It's bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> threw it out the window um, but yeah back to moon yes um yeah <laughs> you just sh- you uh, sure you don't want to
0: work in tucker and dale versus evil in your recommendations oh, oh <laughs>
2: man you know is there a monkey in tucker and dale versus evil? <laughs> uh,
0: i don't believe there
2: is <laughs> i'm surprised there's not um, but yeah moon uh just this deep is it still a spoiler to talk about moon it came out 10 years ago i'd
0: say i'd say it's probably fine it's i would say it's not a spoiler anymore because they use the ending of moon as a joke in duncan jones new movie mute um
2: oh yeah that's right remember that
0: there's a that which is tangentially connected to moon uh, but sam rockwell has a cameo where they kind of make a joke about the ending of moon
2: where it's uh, i mean i remember my mind being fucking blown when he finds the clone the, the other version of himself um, and you know, I don't actually remember the actual ending of Moon. Does he get off the moon?
0: I believe he does. Uh, I, I it's been probably like nine or 10 years since I've seen Moon, yeah.
2: actually, so. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, yeah, I, I don't know, just this, this kind of cerebral, uh, you know, w- weird movie about isolation in space and, and what that does to you and, uh, with sci-fi shit going on.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you're kind of burnt out of this segment by now, Mike. <laughs> uh-
2: <laughs> It's fine. I'm just sleepy. I wasn't feeling too great, you know, before we started. I got I got that, that It's Impeachment Day bump, so that's nice. Uh, that's, so was, that's good, yeah. I was riding that going <laughs> when we started, but I'm coming down a little bit. <laughs> all
0: right. Uh, all right, so I got one more to uh, get through, and then, Mike, you can go to sleep. Uh, Thanks. And, I, you pre- know, I appreciate it. <laughs> obviously, I picked. A, I, I had to pick something monumental for my final choice, Mike. Uh, right. So I had to pick a, an auteur film. I had to pick you know, a a two and a half hour epic, I had to pick something that was in the Criterion collection. Of Uh, course. So of course, I went with Armageddon. Uh,
1: (laughs) I address you tonight, not as the president of the United States, not as the leader of a country, but as a citizen of humanity. We are faced with the very gravest of challenges. The Bible calls this day Armageddon, the end of all things. And yet, for the first time in the history of the planet, a species has the technology to prevent its own extinction. All of you praying with us need to know that everything that can be done to prevent this disaster is being called into service. The human thirst for excellence, knowledge, every step up the ladder of science, every adventurous reach into space, all of our combined modern technologies and imaginations, even the wars that we fought, have provided us the tools to wage this terrible battle. Through all the chaos that is our history, through all of the wrongs and the discord, through all of the pain and suffering, through all of our times, there is one thing that has nourished our souls and and elevated our species above its origins. And that is our courage. The dreams of an entire planet are focused tonight on those 14 brave souls traveling into the heavens. That man's not a salesman. That's your daddy. And may we all, citizens the world over, see these events through. Godspeed
2: and good luck to you. (laughs) Uh, The greatest entry into the Criterion Collection. It
0: really is. Uh, Obviously directed by Michael Bay. (laughs) Um, In a tour. In a tour, uh, two and a half hour epic. Bruce Willis, Billy Bob Thornton, Ben Affleck, Liv Tyler. uh, (laughs) Nice,
2: nice connection. Yes.
0: So, uh, you know, I I figure if you just watch Ad Astra, you might want to watch another space movie, but you might not want to watch one that's as heady and cerebral as Ad Astra is, right? (laughs) Enter Armageddon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nice. This Michael Bay explosion fest about a team of astronauts slash oil drillers led by Bruce Willis to blow up an asteroid that could wipe out humanity as we know it. Uh, I think it's a perfect counterpoint, honestly, to Ad Astra's themes of isolationism, uh, since we've got the team dynamic here. You know that that's a, that's a movie that's very much about like or Ad Astra is very much about Ad, Brad Pitt being in space alone uh, and trying to regain his sense of human connection. This movie's all about the human connection. It's got a whole team of people uh trying to get rid of this asteroid which i appreciated and you've got the added bonus that Liv tyler is once again the wife that gets left behind on earth uh while her, while her husband goes to space to save the world <laughs> so
2: one day she'll make it to space one
0: day one of these days uh in like it took 20 years between armageddon and ad astra so 20 years from now Liv tyler will make a movie that where she actually goes to space hopefully yes we'll see fingers crossed but uh yeah so uh i wanted to end on Armageddon because i think it would be a really ridiculous double feature and i think it would be a lot of fun to just do ad astra and then suddenly boom you're in armageddon territory now i think it'd be (laughs) great uh perfect so yeah so to recap mike what were your three
2: uh arrival upstream color and moon
0: all right and mine were uh, robinson crusoe on mars the lost city of z and armageddon uh (laughs) (laughs) nice uh all right i think that about wraps things up for today mike uh that was the end of our you may also like segment uh at astra very good movie that i liked a lot and you enjoyed to a degree uh yeah (laughs) you appreciate it some some extent yes uh all right mike where can we find you online this week
2: you can find me at md film blog on twitter and md film blog on letterboxd
0: and you can find me at m smith film blog on twitter and all our podcasts and stuff over at Rapture Press. Uh, where you can find other shows like The Review Zoo as well and our other podcast, The Complete Works, too. Uh, thanks so much for listening to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike DiCricio. Uh, Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, hit us up at Mike and Mike Go to the movies at gmail.com. Uh, our next episode of Mike and Mike will see us reviewing the very prestigious film, which won the Golden Lion at this year's Venice Film Festival, Mike. Of course, uh-huh. I'm talking about Joker. Um uh, <laughs> which actually did win the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Film Festival.
2: Uh, You son of a bitch. It
0: really did happen. (laughs) Uh, So very weird. Uh, Looking forward to that. I'm really curious about how that's going to turn out. Uh, Plus, keep an eye out for the Next Complete Works, which will see Nicolas Cage in a 2018 sci-fi movie called The Humanity Bureau. If we had only seen that movie before, we had to recommend movies for Ed Astra Maybe it could have made the cut, but
2: uh, it probably would have made it. I'm not gonna lie. It might
0: have. You never know. Uh, All right, and that's the end of this week's episode of Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. We'll see you on the other side.